And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about Klingon mental health. Klingon, uh, mental health from a Klingon perspective. This is an episode as suggested by you, all of you out there in the life support community. Is it, um, is it Klingon mental health month again? <laughs> just feels like we had that, Larry. Wasn't that just a... Uh, you know, it's COVID time. Everything is off. <laughs> so um, let's get started by, um, in the comments below, let us know what's your favorite Klingon episode and why. There's so many to pick from. So uh, let us know in the comments what are some of your favorite ones. And yes, thank you, Dan. This was your suggestion. Um, it came out of... I don't, I don't think it was last week. Was it last? It might have been two weeks ago. The recommendation. It's been two or three weeks. It's been there's been a lag, but it you know yeah. that's what happens. Things percolate to the top. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, Libby says I can hear Worf saying Klingons do not have mental health. No. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a lot of fun to to explore here. So yeah, we're going to be talking about um, Klingon mental health, and so Larry. Um, when you think Klingons, when you think mental health, what what stories leap out to you? Uh, well, uh, we were laughing about it, but like Libby said, I can hear Worf saying, Klingons do not have mental health, because <laughs> aside from anything that's not about warriors and honor, whether it's uh, medicine at all, really, uh, you know, because the wounded aren't, their society values people who are able to fight, so... Uh, that's also, you know, that's their training and ability, but their ability also translates into what their status is. So are they yeah. sick? Are they injured? Are they um, not of the fighting persuasion? Are they a doctor? Are they a lawyer? Are they a, well, um, you know, are Don't they a scientist? Have Honestly. you seen many Klingon doctors? I don't... Well, we've had some healers. I think we've seen a couple, but yeah. 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 But my point is, all those sidelong professions, they have them. They have to have a society function, but they're, they're on the outs. But, um, uh, and then you wrap all that up with the whole Kalis honor thing. And yeah, you get off in some weird, as we have seen through the Wharf saga, you get off in some weird, a uh, Wharf and, uh, Balana. Uh, too as well yeah the war saga i haven't heard it phrased that way but i i, I like that because uh he really does michael dorn the actor and then Worf the character span pretty much all of star trek he has interacted with almost every era with the exception of the kelvin timeline and the star trek picard era we have seen him you see his great grandfather or something in star trek 6 
uh, as a, right. as, a yeah. as a lawyer, yeah. and then yeah. Anyways, but that's going off track. This is not a Worf <laughs> episode. But yeah, uh, I mean, I think you set you set us up really nicely, Larry. Um, the Klingon culture is one that is very much focused on, um, at, at least the way we see it. It's very much focused on on being a warrior and bringing honor and family and tradition. Um, the Klingon culture is very focused around uh, tribes. They call them houses. Mm-hmm. Um, but in human culture, we might call them uh, these different tribes, uh, these communities of people. And it's and bloodlines are important. However, um, you can also be brought into a house. You can be adopted into a family. So uh, mm-hmm. those things are, are, are highly important. And Klingon biology, I think, plays a very big role here as well. We learn uh, that the Klingons have a lot of redundant organs and they have a lot of backups, which allow them to heal pretty quickly. I think they have three lungs, um, two hearts. I don't know. They have a lot Everything of... Everything is pretty... Yeah. In fact, all of the important equipment appears to be uh, <laughs> redundant. Yeah. Well, I met signs, but all the important <laughs> the important reproductive equipment seems to be doubled up. Too. So right, yeah. that is canon too, thanks to Star Trek oh, Discovery. Thanks to, thanks to yeah. Don't ever <laughs> knock Discovery because now we have two Klingon uh, what's it? Um, oh, Klingon what's it? <laughs> yes. A, Joe, I feel like. Yes, yes, it, um, yes, it is, and, and we do. But, but I think that, that really impacts, so their biology is also impacting well, their culture, because why would they need to really develop, uh, medicine, uh, when they have a really resilient physiology? Um, they are far more resilient to, uh, injuries, um, to stressors than humans are. Um, to me, it also shows how, how far back the, the, I mean, this was never really said, maybe once or twice early on original series in the movies, but Klingon was supposed to be, Kronos was supposed to be a planet of few natural resources. Right. So the competition was fierce, and if that's where the whole, Klingon, you know, inner, but they fought each other. They fought, supposedly in their mythology, they killed their own gods. So, right, right. Kalos. Kalos, uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) They have been fighting for so long, not just, oh, a couple of hundred years or a thousand years, but if it's been long enough to affect their evolutionary history, if they were self selecting by who was able to survive battle that long, it's like the Vulcans that never had Surat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Vulcan, yeah, that's a really great parallel. Libby says, um, wasn't there a Klingon doctor behind the change in foreheads? Well, we don't really talk about that with outsiders. So, <laughs> no. Um, the Klingon, um, did I just out myself as a Klingon, as an augmented Klingon? I, I, I guess I did. Uh, Jock da Bach! Mage. Um, I'm impressed. I can do Kapla. and Kapla, and that's about it. But anyway. Well, Larry, you know why. You, you, you gotta start the day with a good gah. Um, once you do that, you can say anything in Klingon. Um, Don't ever start the day with a bad gah. No. It needs to be alive. <laughs> it needs to be wiggling around. You need fresh gah. Otherwise, no bueno. No bueno. Um, an now, old was, ancient Klingon saying, no that bueno. That was a crossing of streams. <laughs> okay. No, but I mean, no. it's a here that they have been fighting since day it's like they've been fighting since primordial ooze day on on (laughs) 
on Kronos, and if it's affected the evolutionary biology that much to the, where the you know the self the, the redundantly endowed you know folks with more than one heart, more than one lung, I mean you know <laughs> more than our a share, and if that's who's self-selected for survival and that's what they bred to over the millennia, then uh, that explains a lot and explains why yeah. things are so. I mean, there's points about how like even. You know, it's kind of trite phrases now we're so PC, but it's, you know, when we talk about half Klingons like Balana, mm-hmm. she had a hard time overcoming her Klingonness even when she intellectually wanted to and had a whole and, life where she was running away from her Klingons. And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about that as it relates to Worf in a moment. Um, I want to get back to Libby's comment because it does tie into the, the doctor medicine and how the culture is set up. So just to remind folks, uh, those of you who might not have seen Star Trek Enterprise, they have a brilliant explanation for the change in makeup. I think it's... 28 years in the making! Uh, yeah. It's a phenomenal explanation. Um, Klingons got a hold of human genetically engineered DNA, which was called augment DNA. That was the same stuff that uh, made Khan. They tried to use it to give themselves an advantage... <laughs> That mutated with like a flu or something, Larry, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that, that caused this really detrimental, um, uh, disease that not only wiped away their cranial ridge, but then they died as a result of it. Flocks with a Klingon doctor who did not have the research he needed because their medicine wasn't developed. They were able to stop the disease. At just the, uh, the, at the point where it destroys your cranial ridges. Um, but you could still live. But they, they said it was going to be generations until they're able to wipe this out. And it was an airborne thing and it, it spread out throughout the whole empire. So that explains your cranial ridges and why they eventually come back. I understand they refuse to lock down all the planets. So they also refuse to wear face masks. <laughs> um, yeah. oh my gosh, Larry, it all comes around, doesn't it? No true warrior would ever wear a face mask. What a, what a human thing to do in, in some way. Um, and I wanted to talk about, um, the warrior, uh, cast that we've seen or class. Um, there are hints throughout Star Trek that the warrior class was not the primary ruling class in the Klingon Empire, that there was a warrior class, but there were also, you know, the, the leadership class, there were, um, there were the scientists, engineers, there are all these different, um, different orders in the Klingon society. But at some point, the warriors do take over. And I think we, we get, we often get a biased view of Klingons. We see a lot of their warriors. A lot of their culture, religion centers around, um, honor and duty and uh, protecting your house and your name and these kind of things. But there are these other elements throughout Klingon society. Um, you see the Klingon uh, cook at the restaurant in, yes. uh, in on DS9. <laughs> and, and musician, he's playing a concertina. So, yes. Uh, yeah. And look, Klingon opera. Like, Worf loves Klingon opera. That means there are all these like Klingon artists out there, and they're highly valued in society um all the klingon um all the klingons working in their in their vineyards 
making blood wine you know like <laughs> there's um someone's gotta ferment all that uh no, all that no cling on no cling on mimes though they were all killed off millennia ago <laughs> no yet to cling on they they don't make baguettes either um what um larry i want to ask you this do we have a canonical explanation for what exactly blood wine is it's it's wine of of uh, whatever blood you want to put in. I, I, I'm trying to remember if it's Targ or Kalos's blood or some, whatever. Kalos's <laughs> blood. It's acidic. I mean, you know, if, if Cork and Garrett can sit there and wax on and on about root beer for the Federation, uh, I'm sure at some point they've had a sarcastic comment about about blood wine. As long as I, it keeps... I don't know if it's the blood of Targ's. Or if it's a blood of your enemies, I don't think it's a blood of your enemies. Because number one, that's not hygienic. Number two, um, it's very hard to prepare that stuff in large enough quantities. I'm willing to bet it's a blood of Targs. Are we turning into a craft uh, how how to show here? Is that <laughs> no, this is not the Star Trek cookbook. Um, that that is already out and exists. But um, three or four times, yeah. And and uh, something I um, something I'm, I'm trying to get across here is uh, the Klingons are not just about war and violence yes. and conquest. They're not. And something we see in Star Trek Discovery is there are many tribes of Klingons. There are many ways to be a Klingon. There are different visual looks to, to Klingons. We see that um, with this individual right over here. Um, someone who... Let me see if I can put him right on my face. There we go. There That's we go. kind That's of fine. like... Gah, blah, blah, dah, it's weird to imagine dah, that face on Remain Klingon. <laughs> uh, sorry, I trounced on your way. No, I um, and I pulled Vaka Volk up because for all the angst that Discovery caused people and me at times, but basically I had to stand back and go uh, diversity, diversity, while these producers figure out what franchise they're working in, uh, how it works. But <laughs> it did strike a blow for you know we had you know all the. Because of makeup, and not just because of makeup and budgets, but also time, all the races, all the species, I should say, take a long time. But eventually, Vulcans, we had dark-skinned Vulcans. We had more you know, Asian-looking Vulcans than Caucasian-looking Vulcans. We had darker-skinned, lighter-skinned Klingons eventually, on top of foreheads and not foreheads. But all the species, you know, Andorians, we had moving antenna. Not just moving antenna, but antenna that moved from back here to up here to, you know, we had... Now we've got biker tellerites with with um, with little horny thing. Um, we're getting some species diversity, you know, that kind of is more realistic. Some of the design, some of it is a retcon. But yeah, the whole thing about Klingons, all the other aspects of Klingon society that never get the headlines and never get the story points, like we were saying, everything from musicians to lawyers. Scientists and they all once you get them cornered along like like Antak who was the poor augment doctor trying to save his people and getting no respect for it. Anytime you get one of them alone, oh, they'll tell you all about how they get no respect. They're the Rodney Dangerfields of you know of of Klingons. <laughs> I don't get no respect. They have, they have a warp driven. They have a warp drive level culture. They have to have all those aspects, you know. To make the culture go, to, if they're going to compete with the Federation and and it's, you know, collective, much less the Romulans and Cardassians and everybody else, they've got to have a functioning society. 
So I think we can bring it back to mental health. It's like, what's the cost they have paid for this mm. uber arching? I mean, you got if you want to get tokenly historical, you could, I don't know, look at the Romans, look at the Nazis, look at anybody who was all about the warrior soldier cast and what, what, um, what costs they paid for downplaying everything else, you know, to their peril. And, um, anyway, so maybe, maybe the reform started to come with Praxis blowing up. And, uh, I don't know. That's, you know, Star Trek development wise, that's where we started to see not just a, the detente with the Federation, but also feeling like other people had a breath. Although in the next generation times, you're hearing from, again, doctors and lawyers and scientists that they get no respect. But it seems to be better than it had been before. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, um, use as a jumping off point to, to talk about some, some aspects of Klingon, Klingon culture that, that we've seen that are really notable here. Um, you, you, you outlined a lot in our prep, uh, Larry, which is, um, I think really, I want to, I want to dive through these one by one a little bit. Um, which is good because I feel like the Klingons, it's like, I don't know, Vulcans and Klingons are the two most explored cultures, although Ferengis and Cardassians are, you know, are coming along quickly, but yeah. Klingons are the original deep dive culture in Star Trek. Oh yeah. But you could go on with, but yeah, we, I think you, when you close your eyes and you think of Star Trek aliens, you see two <laughs> aliens right in front of you. You see a Vulcan and you see a Klingon. That's, that's your go-to, I think, um, for a lot of people. So, um, we know that first contact with Klingons did not go well. Um, we know that humans were very, very ill prepared <laughs> to interact with Klingons. Um, well, they were very human. <laughs> they were very human. <laughs> what, um, what do you think it was that led to that disastrous first contact between well, humans? Well, it was and- it was. It shows. It's a perfect illustration of first contacts on Earth, especially between like colonial powers and natives, wherever they find them, even if they're not intent on day one from you know like destruction and plunder and genocide. Um, but it shows how they the humans were trying to do the right thing, but they were doing it in human eyes, and it's such a it's a culture clash that wasn't even intended. They go to all the sturm and drang and drama to retrieve this injured Klingon. Get him home, you know, leave no man behind, uh, leave no one behind. And they take him home and the Klingons spit in his face. You know, it's basically like, oh, why didn't you leave him to die, you moron? You know, we have, yeah. we have no respect for him. We have no respect for you. And the humans are like, well, this is an alien concept. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it didn't get off on the right, but it right there shows. I mean, here's the thing. I want to say this also out of, out of the gate. We talk about Klingon, we talk about mental health from an alien perspective. Yeah. And we're picking Klingons. Well, like with all Star Trek, all the different species and all the different, any aspect of Star Trek is limited by our human imagination and even more so by what's going to sell on American TV, whatever the business model is this decade. (laughs) So it's all, we're all telling stories about ourselves into the future. And when we try to, I mean, we have had, you know, alien life concepts, the space going amoeba or the glowy thing, energy ball that is the vampire, the hate vampire. I mean, we've seen all kinds of different, you know, non-corporeal nonsense, you know, we've seen all that. What we tend to get into and hang around with are all the bipedal humanoids with bumps on their heads, whether they're 
smoother than bumpier at different times. So everything we talk about Klingon mental health, we're still, I feel like we're still looking through a mostly human lens at it and not really yeah. looking. Because how are we going to, con- how are we going to conceive of an alien culture and how it functions, much less getting inside the mind of that weird, you know, culture that may not look like us at all or operate in the physical sense of it. So that's like the first caveat, right? So it just feels yeah. like every time we talk about alien uh, mental health vis-a-vis the Klingons, it's like we're really talking about aspects of of our human culture that they're yeah. portrayed. But, we, but having we, said that, yeah, to look at it through an alien point of view, um, it's definitely you know, this whole thing about the warrior thing from day one of their DNA development. It, it's you know it rings true, but I just wanted to say that up front. Yeah, we're, I think we're there's the surface the spectrum of alien life that we're talking about on Star Trek is like ooh everything from Denobulans to I mean, it's like no that, <laughs> that's a narrow range. You know, when there's got there's the a lot there's a lot there uh, to unpack, Larry. It's the um, range, and that's the budget spectrum range, right? There. Well, so and we have a in canon explanation for that too. Um, in in Star Trek: The Next Generation, um, the search is that the episode? No, um, the chase. The chase. Thank you. Um, in the chase, we have an explanation that there is this ancient race that looks a lot like the changelings um, <laughs> that that seeded the Alpha Quadrant and probably more um, with their DNA. And so all of these um, species that we've seen, humans, Cardassians, Klingons, uh, Vulcans, we're all interrelated, um, which explains why. We have our makeup budget, as we do on Star Trek. So, uh, so there's that explanation. Um, but you, you, you mentioned Klingon first contact as a parallel for human first contact, and I, I would argue that the Klingon first contact actually went better than most human first contact did. If you yeah. look at Christopher Columbus and the settling of the United States, um, they did not see. Uh, the people who are living here as being equals, as being human. Um, and they also brought along uh, viruses and illnesses that destroyed a, a vast quantity of people. So from that comparison, this went better. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, you can throw in the Spanish conquistadors two, 300 years before that. You've got the British in right. Australia. Um, yes, you've got, you've got all over the globe, but... Um, but there's there's a key part here, which is language, um, language and the meaning of you know Hoshi was there to translate some of the stuff, but it, uh, language you can't you have to interpret, and to to be able to interpret language, you really need to have a understanding of the meaning behind those words, the culture in which that language is is created. Um, and they did not have that. Yes. <laughs> um, Larry, I'm getting some static uh, on your end. Um, okay. Would you mind uh, going out and coming back in? I can do that. I also have okay. people saying I might be out of sync. Okay. Uh, well, let's maybe, see. Maybe if you, you want... can dive into the chat while I'm doing this. I That's a great idea. I will do that. And uh, Larry will, will be back very body. soon. Yes. So while we're waiting for Larry to rejigger the gigawatts, um, I just wanted to, I think the first, uh, first episode that folks said was, uh, parallels as a favorite Klingon episode, 
which, um, yeah, I think Zaheer mentioned that. And that's probably one of my favorite Star Trek episodes right over there. It's, I, I'm a big sucker for parallel universes and, uh, different stories. Um, Dan mentioning Night Terrors was a good showcase of Klingon mental health. The lack of REM sleep is affecting everyone. Looks like we've got Larry is calling back in. Let me connect Larry here with the show. Let's see. Does that see. help any better? Uh, let's find out. Okay. Still hearing it a little bit, Larry. Huh. Don't <laughs> don't know what happened there. Uh, I think we're getting some sub- subspace interference. I think uh, so. Lieutenant, I said code two. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to try again? Uh, well, all right. If it's that, because on my end, I'm not hearing anything, but uh, I'll trust you, I guess. Um, maybe doing a restart might help. Restarting the warp core on your end? Of Skype? Sure. Let's start with that. I'm so, I have not made the great migration to the new iMac yet. So uh, if I restart, I'll see you at the end of... You can do a I'll be with you. I'll tell you what. Um, maybe close out your Skype and then um, and then come back in. Let's see if that right. helps. Okay. Okay. Cool. But good. I, I, I should have said, uh, I'll be reminded, we've... I feel like we haven't been eyeing the chat as we go along. So, yeah, do a, do a quickie dive. We're in the chat. Don't worry. We are exploring. We are fully um, making contact. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, Dan mentioned Night Terrors as well. Um, Dan is mentioning here the story of Worf. He's a character that, uh, that in most episodes of all of Trek, therefore all of Star Trek is the Worf suck. I thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> I like that argument. I like that argument that all of Star, I think that argument really works because look, you've got the original series, which is really setting the foundation for the Worf saga because it's setting the foundation for who the Klingons are their relationship with humans and then the movies especially with the original series cast most of the movies feature klingons so you have star trek the motion picture has klingons briefly star trek 3 features the klingons heavily in star trek 4 they're on a klingon ship star trek 5 features klingons and star trek 6 is all about uh klingons so I think that argument is uh, a really sound one, Dan. Um, I think it um, it completely... Star Trek is the Worf saga. Let's bring in Larry. He's back. Um, all right, Larry. Let's let's see how this... Uh, I don't know. Still... Any better? Mm, Any better at all? I'm still hearing it. I'm still wow. hearing okay. it, Dr. Trek. And it wasn't there at the beginning? No. Uh, interesting. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, my friend. Uh, Is it really annoying? I think it might be. <laughs> um, do you want to t- attempt a restart or something? Uh, okay. I'll. I'll. Uh, well, it'll be. I swear to God, it'll be like ten minutes. I can jump into the counselor's log. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice knowing everybody. We'll see you. 
Larry will be back soon. I have full confidence in his ability to reprogram the, that LCARS database. Um, he'll be back. Um, he'll be back. Soon you'll see. Larry will come back to the show with me. He'll be back. All right. I guess that's a... All right. Um, Libby says, I want to be a member of the House of Quark. Um, what a wonderful episode uh, that was. Um, oh, but Dan, just to finish it off, um, uh, your your Worf saga. So we have all of the original series kind of setting up the stage for Klingons. We see Worf's ancestor in Star Trek VI representing um, Captain Kirk as well as Dr. McCoy. And then we have Next Generation, which is, um, Worf is heavily featured there, transitioning to Deep Space Nine, where Worf is heavily featured. And then Worf continues into the movies, um, and probably is an ambassador somewhere now. I like your theory. That is a, a beautiful TED Talk. Well done. Um, um, yeah, so Rebecca's asking about what about Ash's mental health being both Klingon and being human? Um, I think we could spend a lot of time talking about Ash and what's happened. Um, you know, it's hard to unpack that because it, I, it doesn't completely make complete sense to me what happened. Um, but what seems to happen is a lot of trauma. Um, he has really been um, uh, physically and mentally tortured in a lot of ways. Beyond that, I have a hard time kind of diving into what Ash has really experienced because it's so out there. It doesn't quite make complete sense. Um, Rebecca was kind of fact-checking us here. Two hearts, 23 ribs, two spines... And yes, to gonads. Um, that is true. Uh, I'm assuming that's true for all genders of Klingons. Um, all right, folks, let me jump ahead to the comments section. I want to make sure I'm not, um, I'm not so behind. Um, uh, Rebecca says, I still want to know what's hanging behind Ali. Oh, this stuff. This stuff, Rebecca? You want to know about this stuff? I can, would you like a little tour? I could give you a tour. <laughs> well, apparently this is uh, a little bit of a tangent in our Klingon mental health episode. Um, so Rebecca, this thing, uh, right mm, there. This is an old, uh, French sci-fi postcard. Um, I believe they're all people on, um, they're all trying to shoot to the moon. So it reminds me a lot of Melier's um, Voyage to the Moon, that uh, very old, probably one of her first science fiction films. Um, so I really love that postcard. This is a picture of a motor neuron. It's a diagram of a motor neuron, I should say. And it uh, is uh, representative of the very first discovery of neurons. Um, this is a art print. I'm blanking on the name of the artist right now. But it um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, uh, I think it's called The Wanderer or something like that. It kind of reminds me of kids wandering and playing and good times. This, someone here needs to be able to identify what that is. So I'm going to come back. 
whoever can guess what that is, you, you're going to get a, a Vulcan high five from me. Um, this right over here is a, um, an autograph by, um, um, the actor who played, um, Batman in Star Trek. It's not Star Trek. Yes. The actor who played Batman in Star Trek. Yes. That makes total sense. Uh, no, the actor who played Batman in uh, Batman the Animated Series, which was uh, a big entry into my world of geekdom. Um, right over here, that is a, um, a graph that shows the effectiveness of exposure therapy. Um, that was the very first experiment of exposure therapy, which is the main way in which we treat anxiety disorders. Mary Cover Jones was the psychologist who did this close to the um, 1920s, I believe she was doing this, 1920s or 30s. Uh, and here you had a lot of other people who were using behavioralism to inflict um, uh, anxiety and to show how anxieties are formed. And Mary Cover Jones came along. She doesn't get the credit she deserves. She came along and said, hey, I think we can use this science to help people and we can undo anxiety. And that is from her paper that shows, yes, in fact, this works. Um, I also have a hoverboard. And there's some more stuff, but I think that could see a gist. Okay, anyone, did anyone figure out what this is? Has anyone figured that out? Um, yes, Scott got it. It's the Next Generation Bridge concept by Andy uh, Probert. Um, let me see if anyone else got it. Scott, I just see that you got it. Um, Scott, you mentioned it a couple of times. Um, anyone else? No, just Scott. Scott, nice work there. Um, way, way to get it. You, this is for you, Scott. This Vulcan high five? It's all yours, my friend. Um, I love that concept art. I think it's really beautiful. And there's two things I really love about it. Let me see if I can actually make this work. Let's see. We're going to try to do something a little, a little while here. No, I've kind of got it. It's kind of stuck to the wall because I had to tip it to be at a certain angle so it doesn't reflect light. But if you Google it, you can see it. And the captain has a gigantic mug of what probably looks like coffee, but maybe it was tea given um, how they wrote Picard's character. He's got um, a giant mug on the bridge of the Enterprise. And there's also a giant trash can <laughs> on the Enterprise as well. I look at it as a trash can. It's right next to where Counselor Troy sits. So those two details about about that just uh really crack me up um all right folks let me let me get back into the comments here let's see what what are we talking about um oh libby's got a cool comment here Fringi are a bundle of anxiety klingons seem to be the opposite humans in the middle sometimes i think Fringis are are quite confident um i think their their mental health very much fluctuates as their bank accounts do and so those who are doing better seem to have more confidence and more, uh, they're more self-assured. And then, um, those who aren't doing as well seem to be struggling, struggling more. Um, yeah, Tim, it's a hoverboard. Um, 
I, uh, I'd like to show you how it works, but um, it's, uh, it's quite risky to activate a hoverboard indoors. Um, uh, I'm glad you appreciated that little tour, Rebecca. Uh, and Jana, yeah, Batman and Star Trek, best performance ever. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, why don't we actually jump into some... Um, uh, some mental health stuff here, folks. Um, how about, how about that? Um, how about we do that? Okay. So I want to jump into, um, let's talk about some of the other Klingon, uh, Klingon stuff we see. All right. So, um, we know that, uh, thank you for enjoying that tour. Thank you for, um, for all of that. So we know that um, status as family and honor and tradition, these things are really super important to Klingons. In fact, one of the worst things you can do to a Klingon is, um, is uh, Larry knows this word, maybe some of you all know this word, discommendation. Is that the word? Discommunicate? Something like that. But we see that this is something that happens to Worf in this episode of Next Generation, where he's, he's basically expelled from, um, uh, from a Klingon house. Like his name can't be mentioned. His, he is basically does not exist. So we know that status is, uh, super important and honor. Um, we know that, um, the Klingons are also, um, really to live a honorable life means that you have brought glory to the empire, to your house, that you have not lived as a coward. And as Larry was mentioning, medicine, um, among the Klingons is quite poorly developed. We see this when Worf gets injured. He has this back injury. And he asked Riker to help him engage in this, um, in, in his own death, in this culturally sanctioned suicide. And I just want to, want to mention that there are aspects of, of both of these things that we have seen in human culture. So there are a lot of human cultures that are focused on, on tradition, on, um, on honor, on duty, these types of things. And one of the things that we found is, especially in areas where you might not have a, um, a working justice system. And even in countries where you have a working justice system, but it doesn't seem to be just, people will engage in more honor-based approaches to justice. And people do a lot of things that we see in the Klingon Empire. So, um, we see this in Deep Space Nine. This, this is actually kind of gets to the House of Quark episode where, um, if, if one, if a member of your house was, um, was killed in an unjust way, and for Klingons, you have the right to go out and, and seek revenge. And that exists in human culture as well. In places where there isn't a working justice system, that happens. And we know that um, when it comes to death and ways of dying, this is all heavily culturally based. It's highly influenced by religion, by society, by these different expectations. We also see this with Klingons um, when they um, 
they have very specific traditions around death and dying. And if this was um, an early Star Trek Next Generation episode, you can see by Worf is still in his red uniform there and his old sash. But um, when Klingons die, they have this, um, the Klingon um, uh, death chant, death cry. Somebody, the, these are the times where I really need Larry to step in and be like, Ollie, it's this word. It was in this episode and this word. Um, uh, so we, we see that in Klingons and that is also a good parallel to, to humans. Um, how I, for some reason, the Kirk quote, how we approach death is nearly as important as how we approach life. Or is it the other way around? How we approach life is nearly as important as how we approach death. I don't know. It's one of those. But, um, these beliefs around what we do, how, how people can die. And what we do with death, these are very much human ideas as well. Um, there's uh, Dan is saying there's no greater enemy than one's own fears. Martok, oh man, Martok is is uh, is so good. He's he's one of my favorites uh, right over there. Um, so we also um, uh, let's see. Oh, this was. Um, I believe, uh, who was asking about this earlier? Libby, I think you were asking about the augments. Um, here we see the Klingon doctor and working with flocks, trying to solve this augment, uh, related virus right over there. Um, so uh, let's, let's get into the counselor's log here. Um, I've got, I've got some stuff I wanted to say and to share with you all about mental health. I know we're all over the place here today, folks, but, you know, we're doing the best we can. So let's jump into the counselor's log. This is where I do a deeper dive into the mental health aspects of everything that we're talking about today. And today, obviously, we are talking about um, Klingon mental health and what what we can learn from that. So, folks, we've spent all this time talking about mental health on Life Support Live, but I don't think we've ever even defined what mental health actually means. So I want to do that for you all because this is going to be a big part of what we mean by Klingon mental health. So uh, this definition I, I love because it seems to be the best definition that captures all aspects of mental health. Uh, so this comes from mentalhealth.gov. Did you know that? Did you know the United States has a official government website about mental health? It's been around for a very long time, and there's some cool resources up there, so you can check it out, mentalhealth.gov. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. So there's a lot there. How does that relate to Klingons? What does that say about us? How can we learn from that? There's a lot of stuff I want to unpack with you all right now about that. Um, so thank you, uh, Ethan. Um, it's at least how we approach death is at least as important as we approach life. Yes. Um, <laughs> Klingon mental health. Hit yourself with a pain stick. We're going to get to that. So um, let's let's break down this definition. So mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. Let's just start with that emotional part. 
So um, what we know about emotions, how they exist here with humans and probably how it exists with Klingons is um, there are some things that we all experience. We all experience sadness. We all experience some joy, surprise, disgust, anger. Those are some pretty common emotions. But when you start to expand beyond that, there's a lot of debate about what emotions are universal and what emotions might be unique to different cultures. Um, uh, my favorite example of this comes from Germany. I don't know if anyone, um, if there are any German um, members of the community here online right now, if you are, let me know. Uh, but the Germans have a lot of words for emotional states that don't exist in other cultures. So schadenfreude is one of my favorite examples. If any of you have watched Avenue Q, you'll remember that schadenfreude, it's feeling better when others feel blue. So it's the emotional state of um, feeling uh, good because someone else is like struggling in some way or has a experience of setback or something like that. Um, your culture can influence these different emotional states. Your language influences emotional states. So if you are, if you have a language that does not have a word for emotional state like schadenfreude, you are not going to really experience that as much as someone who does have that as a part of their culture. Um, ah, uh, Germany, no, German language as my mother tongue, yes. So hopefully I have, uh, I, I mentioned, uh, sh I did justice to schadenfreude there. But um, speaking of mother tongue, your, your language highly influences the way you experience emotions. Emotions are just, they're a very quick way of your body responding to things that are happening around you or things that are happening inside of you and creating a label for that. Um, if your language doesn't have a label that completely describes what you're experiencing, you're going to experience that thing less. Uh, so, so language influences all of this. So getting back to, um, I believe... Um, uh, let's see, who was it in the comments who just mentioned this? Um, someone is mentioning pain sticks. I think it was Sean. Sean, were you mentioning pain sticks? Um, but the Klingons probably have words to describe um, different aspects of pain, of honor, of glory that do not exist in human culture shame these kind of things like we we see klingons talk a lot about that about that stuff and this gets back to that first contact situation with the humans and klingons the humans could not understand why they wouldn't want their wounded to be returned to to the klingon empire um the level of shame that that brings that like one of our own has been lost on this on this planet that um, that person um, did not take their own life. They were, uh, they were captured by this enemy. All of these things, humans do not have the language to completely understand that. 
we just don't. And you see that with Hoshi. She really struggles to try to understand what the heck um, the Klingons were talking about. And this probably extends to other emotional states within Klingons, um, ideas of pain and what pain means. I'll give you an example. Um, let me have some more coffee. I usually have more coffee while Larry's talking. So since uh, since we separated the saucer and uh, I guess I'm, I'm the battle half of the ship and Larry's the saucer section, um, I have to I have to have my coffee. I have to create a break for that. But um, what was I talking about? I was I was about to say something really cool. Oh, man. Um, this is what happens when you're when you're going solo. Um, I was talking about um, about Klingon first contact. Um, I was talking about emotions and I was talking about um, oh, man, I completely. I completely lost it. Oh, and looks like Larry's trying to call me. Um, let's see. Let me bring him in. Let's see how this works. Larry, you are back on Life Support Live. Well, the camera was never the issue, apparently. Is that any better on the audio? Yeah, you sound good right now. Okay, well, it's amazing what a 15-minute vacation will do. <laughs> Larry, we are in um, the counselor's log. And... And you, you missed out on, I was on a, I was talking about coffee and I was about to say something really, you also missed a tour of the office as uh, requested. Um, and then I was about to say something really important and I completely forgot what I was about to say and oh, then you're no, back. Not, I'm sure someone, <laughs> can you flip us just so we match our, our name? I can, I can flip you. Okay. Uh, let me see. Let me see. I can take and it. There we go. There okay. we go. We're back. Uh, we're back to normal, folks. Back. Let's not get carried away. Define normal. <laughs> I'm trying to. That's actually what I was exactly trying to do. So, um, so I gave folks the definition of mental health. Mm-hmm. And, um, this first part, mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. So culture, folks, influences how we experience these emotions, but then it also, exp- um, it, also influences what's expected, what's typical, and what's atypical. And so what sticks out to us about the Klingon culture when we're looking at it is their emphasis on pain, on fighting, all this sort of stuff. This is, Larry, I remembered what I was about to say. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome to, for a little Moana. Any parents out there probably have the Moana song stuck in their head like I do. Um, whenever someone says you're welcome, all I hear is The Rock singing that song from Moana. Um, anyways, uh, pain. So we fundamentally do not understand what Klingons mean about pain. And I'll give you an example. When we often think about pain, we think about something that is, uh, that we don't want to experience. That's telling us about, de- about some kind of injury or, or danger. But there are contexts, social contexts, in which pain is experienced completely differently. Mm-hmm. And if you ever go to the gym and you work out or you're exercising in some way, your understanding of pain is completely different. You, you grow through pain. Pain is your muscles getting stronger 
And this is um, when um, some of the best advice that um, um, I got in understanding and trying to understand what my wife was going through when she gave birth to our daughter was, yeah, there's a lot of pain and pain is one way in which your body grows and it changes and it transforms to whatever the task is at hand. So folks, we see the pain sticks as I believe Sean was mentioning. We uh-huh. see the Klingons, you know, um, very unhygienically like cut their, their wrists and then like share blood and all this stuff. Like, yeah, they, they really need a, they need some well, public health folks think there. Of, think of, uh, wharfs. Uh, I forget if they had a specific name. Somebody will tell me, but all the groom rituals before yes. the right? Putting yes. everybody through agony with him? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Agony, pain, all of the stuff. There's a cultural foundation, which is in, informed by their biology and by where Klingons live and all of these, by their environment and all this stuff. But their fundamental understanding of pain is so different than ours. In much the same way that your understanding of your own pain is different when you're in the gym than it is when you get a, a paper cut or something like that. So culture completely informs informs all of that. It also, um, so the next part of this definition, um, mental health um, affects how we think, feel, and act. So um, the way in which you cope with your challenges and the ways in which you get help are completely informed by culture. They're completely informed by religion. And we see that with Klingons, that um, Klingons do have all these redundant systems. They have this really fast metabolism, I'm guessing. They have a lot of stuff pumping through their body. And the way Klingons cope with distress is quite different than the way humans cope. And um, Larry, I think there's a great episode from Star Trek Deep Space Nine that really shows us this. I think one of my favorite episodes that brings back um, some Klingons that we haven't seen since the original series. Mm-hmm. Do you know which one I'm talking about? The Blood Oath. The Blood Oath. Yes. I love that this episode shows us not only classic Klingons from the original series... But it also shows us the ways in which they struggle and the ways in which they get help. The ways in which they resolve their challenges. The Klingons are a highly social uh, species. They're yes. highly Yes, social. they are. Yeah. They, um, we see this as Worf. You know, um, we now have this thesis that Star Trek is the saga of Worf, um, that, that was brought up in our comments today. And, um, the worst thing that can happen to a Klingon is, is suffering alone in, in, in misery. They, they need to be with each other to support each other. And they don't talk through their differences. They have to resolve their differences. So in much the same way as humans, when some of us are stressed, we need to go for a run or a bike ride or, you know, do something active. Um, same thing with Klingons. Um, when they are, you know, the worst thing you can do to a Klingon is um, 
reduce their social status in some way or their house status. They're very much focused on, on their houses, on their families, on their clans. And when a Klingon's um, status and their, their clan status has been reduced in some way, the way to address that is to address that, <laughs> is to in some way restore honor to your house. Um, humans can't quite understand that because our societies work differently. But that being said, in, in the 24th century, they work differently. But there are examples of that here on Earth where there are different cultures that definitely work that way. So um, one, one more thing I want to say about that is access to care is highly influenced by by culture. So in the United States, uh, we often have these traditional ideas of what mental health means. You're going to see a therapist or a doctor or something like that. In other cultures, and even within the United States, mental health comes through going to religious services. Mental health means... Um, playing a game of basketball with your friends. Mental health means I'm going to go make something for a while or I'm going to go on um, a individual quest. I'm going to leave the community. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go figure out this thing and I'm going to come back. Um, the way you take care of yourself is highly influenced by your culture. Um and the last thing I want to say here, Larry, and then I'm going to, uh, I want to turn it over to you. There's this idea of acculturation, which is what happens when different cultures come into contact with each other. We see that with Worf and, and Balana, is they both, in some ways, have a Klingon identity. In some ways, they have a human identity. In some ways, they're informed by Klingon culture, and in some ways, they're informed by human culture. And what I love about Worf and Balana is that's a pretty accurate representation of how we all experience culture. A lot of times, culture gets boiled down to you're either assimilated as a part of the majority culture or you're not. And that's not how culture works. We all have many different identities within us. And some, in some ways, we integrate those identities. In some ways, they're very far away from each other. In some ways, we assimilate to one and forget another. I'll give you an example here. Worf, there's some things that Klingons do, or some things that Worf does, that are so ultra Klingon, right? So well, we've talked about... You have that where, well, you know, it's a lot like Spock. I've been yeah. thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like when, you have, when you're when you a mixed world, mixed cultures, sometimes you're the uber Klingon. And the other Klingons will say that. They'll even mock him and make fun of him, even lovingly or antagonistically. That, you know, and, and people like Dax will look at him and say, God, my God, you're, you're more Klingon than any Klingon I've ever known. Like, <laughs> yeah. Sating or whatever. Yeah. And so like no, his, his condition, what do you mean? He, so he grew up on Earth, right? <laughs> he was raised by humans. Part of it was on a farm world, but it was a human colony. But yes. Right, human. right. A human colony with uh, his parents, his adopted oh. parents were humans, right? And he, um, he loved, he, he's a, he's a darn good warrior. And we know that that is a highly valued 
trait in Klingon society. So in that aspect of his culture, he's quite assimilated to Klingon culture. Same thing with, um, with his love of blood wine, of Klingon cuisine. His language skills as a Klingon are quite proficient. He speaks Klingon so well and speaks English quite well. Like he's equally fluent in both. Um, he's integrated when it comes to language, right? And um, there's other aspects that are so not Klingon. He loves prune juice. Um, he, it's a warrior's drink. It's a, a warrior's drink. <laughs> Rebranding by war. He, um, Del Monte loves him. Yeah. I know, right? If they're still around in the 21st century. He uh, very much is, um, his first duty is to Starfleet. Um, and we see how much he struggles with that. Um, he's really not the best Klingon dad, um, when it comes to Alexander. And, and when you look at Alexander's story, he is someone who's experienced a lot of what we would call acculturative stress. The stress that comes from the, the collision of these different cultures. And his story is about one where he's very separated from his Klingon identity. And he finds a way of integrating them by the end of Deep Space Nine. So, um, I just want to say that Worf and, and also Balana, we see the, we see the stress more so with Balana than I think with, with Worf. But, um, they're beautiful examples of how, how much mental health can be informed by what happens when you live in a bicultural environment. I've said a lot of stuff, Larry. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up for a little bit. No, 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 no. that's good. I just uh, I what what I don't, and I, maybe you talked about this during my great uh, my walkabout today. Um, <laughs> but the other thing about Klingon society, and, and maybe it's a signal to their their cultural mental health, if not individuals. Well, individual reactions is you know we see we've got so many cultures of varying you know development in Star Trek, but. The rely we have you know it's almost a joke the Klingon all the Klingon rituals. So if a society is that into ritual, what would that open up a whole new textbook here? What does that say about the society as far as its mental health? Because it seems like ritual is a way to I I don't know if if there's such a warrior culture and what that means, and even though they're bred for it and they they self select for that and they honor that among other you know, endeavors, it almost seems like ritual is a way to patch over, to cling to, to cling on to <laughs> all the, no, I mean, all the disruptions that that kind of a lifestyle is going to, even if you revel and you, and you love constant battle, whether it's, you know, individual battle or it's group battle, tribe against tribe or planet yeah. against planet. Yeah. Is ritual a thing that gets you through rough times because it's another token Klingon joke that there's a rich, you know, there's a ritual to adopt a kid. There's a ritual to commit suicide by yourself. There's a ritual to commit suicide by somebody else. There's rituals for weddings. Obviously there's, I don't think we've ever seen a, a Klingon funeral. Well, we've got the howl for the dead after someone dies. I mean, howl you know, for the dead. Yes. Thank you. I was struggling to, no, there's a better word. There isn't there a um, Klingon death chant or cry or something is well, there there's a warning stovacore that another warrior is approaching but right, you know right, and right. All the Kling- there's well the whole klingon um maybe because battle 
you're expected to go battle, and the upshot of that is it's better to die, right, than be an injured weakling, like the way... I don't know if you've still got access to all your... We're talking about all these things, if you've got uh, yeah. the pictures that I pulled last night. Yep. But, um, you know, all the, the whole bit about Klingon reaction to... Maybe you talked about the Klingon reaction to, to not being 100%, to being injured, to even being uh, handicapped and disabled, where you cannot fight, or where you can barely function anyway, and how you're just, you know, cast aside as a drain on society. Uh, right. How... Yeah, Worf is there's a there's a ritual suicide for when you you're you can live, but you you don't want to the way uh, Riker's refusing to you know that's there's a culture clash. His human Federation ideals and ethics aren't letting him you know enable Worf's Klingon ritual. But anyway, in a big way, it's like, it's kind of like Elizabeth Warren and I've got a plan for that. It's like rituals. You say anything of aspect of a social daily life to a Klingon, it's like I've got a ritual for that. I mean, what does that say about um, their mental health individually and, co- and as a group? Anything? So, yeah. Well, the first thing it I want to... Like it seems like they've developed to be not crutches, but bridges to get through a life that's dedicated to constant turmoil. Through, Even though they see it as a not turmoil as a disruption, they see it as um, you know the, the ultimate con- continuity of life is to yeah. always in battle and to be in combat but there are still real world tolls for that so it feels like ritual is a way to smooth over the inevitable travails that that kind of life is going to bring i mean does that make any sense i hadn't thought about this until this now so maybe i think that's i think that's a really great insight that uh, for a civilization that has a lot of um turbulence in its society in its empire in its internal politics I, I mean, on the, on the one hand, you had Robulets, right? Who seem to never really change that much, even though their politics are so complicated. On the other hand, you have the Klingons, who are constantly in the state of flux, but their rituals are so similar. Like, they don't change much, right? Like, these cultures are so very different in, in how they are both similar over time and change over time. Um, I, I think that's a really great insight that the Klingons, um, perhaps their, their beliefs, their culture, their rituals are one way to bring order and consistency, um, across change. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say two things. I wanna say one thing in canon and I wanna say one thing that's very contemporary, um, related to where we are right now in the United States and in other parts of, of the world. So um, in canon, we see all these rituals, ritual conflict, this and that. Um, humans are traditionally very tribal as well. Um, we really like the groups we belong to. We dislike other groups. And over time, we might be able to overcome those differences, but it's difficult. Um, It takes a lot of contact, empathy, understanding, stuff like that. But, Larry, every society has developed ways of working through some of this conflict in much the same way that the Klingons do. That, like, if you dishonor each other, 
they have these fights and battles against each other. Humans definitely did that. We saw that in, you know, I, I, I sang horribly a little bit of Hamilton earlier. You saw that with duels in the United oh. States, right? That's what you missed. You missed yeah. uh, you, you missed uh, uh, the office tour and me singing is, "You'll Be Back." Is um, anybody left sober? <laughs> if if it helps, I I kind of dedicated that song to you, Larry. That you, you'll be back, and and here you are. Um, but um, we have developed other ways of working through that conflict. So some of those ways are like our legal systems and stuff like that. But Larry, I think there's a much simpler way in which our lives parallel Klingons, and that's through sports. Sports mm-hmm. are a fantastic, um, a fantastic invention that allows us to work through our own tribal stuff. We can have allegiance to a team. We can follow them, and through that, we can kind of work out this need to be tribal that exists in us. And you might not be a sports fan, but there might be other things that you do follow in similar ways. Maybe it's franchises. Maybe it's these stories. Maybe it's Star Trek versus Star Wars, all this kind of stuff. But um, we have invented ways of working through our own tribalness in much the same way that Klingons have. So that's the in-canon thing I want to say. The out-of-canon thing that I want to say is um, the conservatism that we might see in Klingons, which has persisted their culture and their rituals. Um, it works in similar ways as conservatism should in, in the general population, that there are some people whose personalities are much more liberal, and they don't have as much... Um, they don't see the need to keep things the same way as they've always been. And then there's some people whose personalities lean more conservative and they, they really value tradition. And in a well-functioning society, you have an equal mixture of those. And, and people, some people are, are, are able to say, we need to move forward in these ways. And then some people are, are able to say, let's make sure we stay true to these traditions. They're here for, they bring some sense of, of order to society. In the United States, we've definitely become, there's been, there's a sorting problem where the people who are more conservative have been sorted into certain regions and people who are more conservative have been sorted into different regions. So we have the split. So we're not functioning that well because we don't have that mixture of folks who are able to talk to each other, get along, figure out ways of moving forward. The Klingon society has probably done a better job of, of having, of staying true to its traditions, um, and, and having that persist. You could also make the argument maybe to its detriment because maybe there are things they need to move forward, like gender. I don't think we've, We've seen a few female uh, chancellors. We saw that in Star Trek Discovery and in Star Trek VI. But there's not a lot of female leadership in um, in the High yeah, Council. So they seem to have, yeah, they seem to have fairly decent equality until you get to the just very highest levels. Yes, which and, sounds and, pretty familiar, does it? Right. <laughs> as as we are. But no, I yeah, the, and that's something I hope they keep playing with. Although if they're running around, you know, nine hundred and thirty years in the future on Discovery, we won't see Laurel 
Uh, I'd rather, I'd, I'd love to see Mary again, Mary Chipo again as Laurel. But I mean, you have, you had that thing where, oh yeah, we've had like women governors when, um, the husband died who was the governor. And like, that's the case of the, um, well, it hasn't happened recently, but it used to happen all the time in senators. Senators die and they put the woman in. His wife fills out the term or whatever. And you had that a little bit with Ajitbor after uh, Gorkhan in six. You had the daughter take over for the dad. And that was like, it not, but by the time of Next Generation, they needed it for a story point about there's no women on the council. Mm-hmm. But you just kind of, you feel like that's just a political thing. And one other thing we haven't talked about really, because it really didn't come in, I just realized this. Even though it's economic, another thing that's affecting Klingon society and culture, as much as they like to think it's all about fighting and honor and all of that underlying, you know, but they very much have socioeconomic levels. We were talking a little yes. bit about the tribes and the aside from who's yeah. the biggest and who's smaller or who's better fighters and not. There's a the thing about, you know, they, the House of Cork exposed this a little bit. You know, yes. you have that wonderful scene where he's got them all trying to follow along on pads like accountants and Galron says, enough! And they pitch <laughs> I love that moment. I love that moment too. And they all look like they're all thumbs, but they know. And, and the guy who's challenging Groka, he's all about the material stuff. He knows. And he's, you know, they originally, they, they, they finally turn Klingon law on him and talk about how dishonorable he is for being that way. But it's still, you know, Kern gets despondent. He loses the title, but he's also, they didn't just take the title away and kick him off the council. They took his stuff. He had to liquidate his, his houses and his, his physical houses and his land, his lands. It sounds so medieval, you know, middle ages. But I mean, they're, they have a materialism because it's a sign of status. And so that goes along with it. But you have all this talk about how, how, uh, you know, Gowan was an outsider and not a politician, and then he becomes really <laughs> political. But how Martok was a lowly, you know, his house, he was middle class. He was from out in the, you know, boonies. And he, he's, you know, he was a general. So he got it. It's almost like the old British Navy or something or the army. He was an outlander that didn't have a landed status, but he, he, he earned his status in society by fighting, which is what Klingons you would think do until you run into the bureaucrats and the politicians. There, that's that's and a the really good point. The hypocrisy that's up and down, which Worf seems like he's always exposing, or people are yelling at Worf, he should go expose. This, know, it's, a really, it's a really good point, Larry. And um, someone mentioned uh, Martok uh, way back in the comments that Martok really came um, from this lower class or I, I i would argue it's more of a caste system the comp, that was the, the whole thing with core as an aged yes uh, warrior yes the core and, was the landed the gentry and martok was not yes yeah. uh, a beautiful point and i think that that speaks to some of the problems of um i i, I don't want to i don't call, i don't want to call them problems because i'm not in that culture i'm not in klingon culture i don't really it's you can't really you can't make these judgments about cultures because you you it, it gets back to that horrible first contact that humans and Klingons had. You're, you're talking different languages. You're thinking different things. And we haven't talked about sacred values yet. Um, Rose had a great point earlier here about um, Klingons depressed or welcoming death. 
when they say it's a good day to die. So like Klingon depression, um, we, we've seen it and it's usually a warrior is, um, isolated, unable to war, has lost glory or honor, or is like isolated or ostracized. Like that's what Klingon depression looks like, that they've lost meaning and purpose. Um, and they're, they're largely rejected from their, from the rest of their community. And, um, and we, how do we compare that with all the times that Worf says, today is a good day to die. Prepare for running speed. So there's another starship coming in. Huh? It's the Enterprise. I love that scene. Um, Worf's really thinking there, right? <laughs> right. What he's really thinking is, oh boy, bigger budget. <laughs> <laughs> I finally get to be in a movie that's that worthy is the Defiant and the Enterprise. I have a legitimate reason for being here. <laughs> yeah, yes. Although Benjamin Sisko should have been in command of the Defiant at this battle, but I will command it because he's doing important paperwork on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> You would not take a TV salary on a movie budget. So there we go. Um, no, can I ask real quick though? Have we have we ventured into the council? Where are we? Because I we're like- in the councilors' lab. We're about to come out of it, and we're about to go to a K three transition. We're about to get into a K three. Before we do, um, I just want to say that um, the distinction between Klingon depression and Klingons um, willing to give up their lives this gets to sacred values. We haven't talked about that yet, but there are some things that all of us believe that are, that we consider sacred. Um, I'm not talking about sacred in a religious sense. I'm right. talking about sacred in a, in a psychological sense. There are some things that you will not negotiate over, that you will fight for, that you will protect, you will do whatever you can. Historically, for humans, it's often been land. The land that your family has, the land that you have lived on. Um, this is, uh, this, when something is considered sacred, like the land that your family has lived on, you can't buy it. It's for beyond value. Yeah. Say that again, Larry? I said for generations. Right. Back no. <laughs> for, yes. Um, this is often where uh, two people might be in disagreement about land. For generations and a third party will come in and be like well you should do this you should do that and what they're missing out on is how sacred that land is to the people in, in, in the united states freedom of speech is often something that's considered sacred in many countries your flag might be considered sacred there's a lot of ways that sacred you can experience things as sacred um in my family like you take off your shoes when you walk in um, that is a sacred value, and it's like not something we will negotiate on, right? But there's diversity to that in different households and and all of that sort of stuff. So I want to get back to like honor, duty, and sacrificing yourself for a large larger cause. These are sacred values to Klingons. They will give up their life if it's for an honorable cause, and some humans will do that as well. Um, especially those who serve in the military or those who serve the government in some way 
are might be willing to give up their life for for a cause. So a, a lot of times we look at these Klingons and we're like, wow, that's so wild. It's so out there. We do the same stuff, folks. We might not be poking each other with pain sticks, but we are definitely working out our conflict through sports or through, you know, debates at Comic-Con, maybe panels about the psychology of Star Trek versus Star Wars. Not um, to plug anything, but yeah. Not to plug anything, but... I um, should. No, I, you mentioned, though, real quickly, we think about conflict and life and death on a Klingon scale, but you just said people dedicate their lives, they sacrifice in the... People serve in military, and that's a human correlation. Mm-hmm. And then you said, or in the government... And we see the level of sacrifice in government when people go out, when people have a principle that's a sacred, a sacred, um, principle for themselves. And the, what's the ultimate, it's like, it's, it's, um, it's career suicide or career, uh, uh, political suicide when they finally, they kill themselves logistically, when they resign, when they say, I will not stand for this and they give up a life, a career, you know, uh, when you see people taking a stand, mm-hmm. they, they're not fighting Whistleblowers. They're up their life, but they're yes. giving up the next best thing to their life, which yes. is because without the career they work, that they enjoy, that they work on, that means something, those, uh, the sacred principles that if they feel like that's out the window now, then they'll say, well, I'm, I'm giving that up and here's why. And Absolutely. that's like fight to death. Only it's in a, it's in an ethical morality career. You know, mode. I, I think that's a wonderful parallel, Larry. That's that's a uh, a great parallel, and we We're seeing a lot of that right now too. Oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Like, what is it that's important to you about this? Um, Zahir says uh, uh, core values. Soka, his eyes uncovered. Eyes uncovered. We've been borderline to Marion all day long here. I've been wanting. It has nothing to do with Klingons, but I've just been uh, yeah. Talk about culture and language. So, um, uh, hey, I don't know if did you, I may have backtracked here. I'm looking at the chat, and if I if I'm pulling out things that you already got to when I was in the away days, but uh, <laughs> away days. <laughs> Dan had a Dan Lucky had a yeah. point way back yeah. about us Klingon a, a bridging point because Klingons are stereotypically angry and downbeat in human terms. He says, "Is there a risk for those who?" Co- us who cosplay as Klingons, who like their mental health is plays into that, or they become, you know, if they if, yeah, if they yeah. lose themselves in the part, or maybe they were pre you know pre selected for that anyway. So uh, my my colleague that I spoke about before, uh, Dr. Drea Ledimenti, who's on that panel, um, Psychology of Star Trek versus Star Wars, she's actually done a little bit of research into cosplay. And the mental health uh, aspects of cosplay. And um, if you just look up um, psychology of cosplay, her article is the very first one that comes up. And largely, it's all very positive. Like, I wouldn't be worried about it at all. There's this thing called code switching, which basically means in different cultural contexts, you can think and act differently and you might feel differently and for many of us when we cosplay as a Klingon you might feel more like a Klingon and that's okay it's role playing basically yeah 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 in the same way that we act as an escape as a healthy thing totally totally and um there's 
when it comes to Klingon culture, like, um, we have to remember there are so many wonderful, positive aspects to it. Uh, there's a, a really great debate that was happening in the comments section about the role of gender and uh, Martok's wife really being in this empowered role. But in House of Cork, we see um, a Klingon woman who cannot really rule her house without a man and there's a lot of debate around that and so there are Klingon culture is very slow to change absolutely at the same time Klingon culture is one that highly values its family really takes care of one another Worf is not a great example of this well maybe he is because he really does make a lot of big sacrifices for his brother he and does all things with Kern he yes. adopts a Jeremy Astor, who I can't remember, I pulled that one out of my memory. Mm -hmm. uh, he adopts Jeremy Astor, and then he tries to, yeah, he tries to deal with Kern's ups and downs. Alexander's his big, maybe failing, he circles around, but then... He circles around. He's got Kalar, you know, that that's kind of wrapped up in a little emotional bundle there. But then also, yeah. later on, when he's all alone, Martok adopts him. Yeah, Remember? yeah, and with with Alexander, I want to say that, folks, Worf had a hard time as as a child himself. Um, he really did not know his parents. He was raised by humans. He does not know how to be a Klingon father. Um, there's a lot of research around um, kids who experience trauma growing up. They have a hard, they can have a hard time raising children themselves. I think we see that reflected with Worf. Um, and we see that with Alexander. And, um, he does come around to it. I think Jadzia plays a big role in, in helping him approach that differently. Um, but there are good reasons why, why Worf was a bad father, um, and why he experiences those challenges. Um, I want to, uh, share Libby's comment here. Cosplaying a Klingon gave me a lot of confidence I didn't have before. I had people comment that on that when I was younger, even non-convention goers back when we called it costuming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Larry, we are well overdue. I think people are dying yes. to hear this. Uh, today's K3 factor. Okay. Um, what, what, what deep cut are you going to cut for us today? I have a very personal deep cut, which is perfect Ooh. for our theme today. Yeah. So I think I, I sent you, and I'm going to just totally lean on this one image the whole yeah. time. Yes. There is okay. a moment in, uh, by Inferno's life and the two parter where yes. Worf and Garak. Garak is looking for his father in Avrantain. The Dominion uh, conflict is going on, or we're close to a conflict. And, um, oh, that's rather... I've got wide Panavision here. It's not working out. Can you slide back and forth? Okay, that's good enough. I mean, just, you can't pan back. You can't pan and scan that, huh? Um, there's a yeah, moment... I, I, you want me to do this? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah. You want me to okay. move it around? <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, if it was going to be the whole frame to pan and scan the image, but no, that's good. I can do uh, this. How about that? Don't make me seasick. Okay. Uh, <laughs> space sick, you mean? Space sick, yeah. No, there's a moment. This is it'll, this is great about Hollywood as well as Star Trek and our canon. So, before this, the two-parter birthright, right on Next Generation, <clears throat> was all about. 
Klingons being here's a here's a cultural thing we haven't hit on about Klingons being taken captive will kill themselves rather than be right rather yes. than be taken captive. And when they weren't, when they didn't kill themselves, they lived in such shame that yes. they would not go home. They wouldn't re- they wouldn't bring shame to their families yes. because of that culture more. It talk about mental health. Right. So they they that group that were captured didn't feel like they had a way to break out of that. So rather than bring yes. shame to their families. They hid, and then you found a Romulan who felt sorry for them. Talk about out of their cultures. Yeah. And he sets up this secret, <laughs> the secret colony where he takes care of them, and they agree to be taken. They're already so shamed that they all live there secretly. It's bizarre. It's really bizarre. But that's that's the extreme of the whole, you know. But that's a, that was a two parter, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's how many times did they make the point? It's the whole arc of this. It's the whole reason for this episode. Two two hours, aside from Data's dreaming in part one. But <laughs> the bulk of that two parter is all about Klingons do not let themselves be taken hostage. Klingons will not let themselves be. Klingons will kill themselves before they're taken hostage. If Klingons yes. are taken hostage, it it breaks them. It's like the worst thing you can do to a Klingon. One of the yeah. five things. You know, it's like, it's horrible, horrible. They live in shame. They'd rather live in secret without their families rather than bring you. That's bang. That's a hit you over the head over and over and over again. That's fifth season, next generation. Yes. Sixth season. Fifth season. So fast forward to DS9. Yeah. Where you've got the Dominion War going on and you have this wonderful plot of, of, of Garrick and his father and he, and he winds up at the, they wind up being taken prisoner. They're in a Dominion prison camp, an internment camp. And they walk in, and everybody is still grappling with the, you know, the, there's paranoia about the changelings. And we've even had the episodes about too much paranoia, taking away civil liberties and all of that balance. But they get, Worf and Garrick walk in, and lo and behold, Garrick does see his dad. They walk in, and oh my god, there's Martok. And Bashir. So now they know, now at the, the wait, if you're Bashir really, then who's the Bashir on the station? Who's the Martok that we, oh my god, they're changelings. So yeah. that's going on. But in the middle of all that, for one minute, had nothing to do with the plot. But it was back in the days when I would, be, when Janet worked on the shows and the scripts are sitting there and the draft scripts are coming by. And one day after work in licensing, I walked over and sat down and picked up a first draft and read it. And it's back also back in the days when the NDA that you signed was like, if you blurb about this, you will be fired from all your Star Trek work. That's how we did <laughs> NDA. So, but I'm reading the draft script for the internment camp scenes, and I walk in, and here's Worf and Garrick, but Worf walks in and sees Martok as a hostage. No one says a word about why did Martok not kill himself. Mm-hmm. And I was reading along, and I went, oh. And and Janet's working at her desk, and I'm just sitting there in her chair in, our tiny, in the tiny little heart building offices, and I go, oh, uh... Martok's a hostage? Why didn't he try to kill himself? And I swear, Janet said, oh, Larry, don't be an anal fan. And I'm like, okay, okay, but I'm just saying people are going to scream about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Scream about this. So I let it go. I'm just like, oh, guys. And I knew it was an Ira and and, and Wolfie episode. So it wasn't Ron, you know, Ron, the keeper of all things Klingon, or Ron Moore. And but it was an Ira. And, you know, Ira, everybody loves Ira. I was driving the show. But it was a, one of those little moments that he wasn't around for. He wasn't part of late next generation. And the 
two-parter that hits you over the head that Klingons, you know, okay. But the fandom, that that was in 15 episodes. Well, it was really in this one two-parter. But it was made a huge impact. So so two or three days go by. Janet comes home and she goes, Larry, uh, what episode was was that? Yeah, I think it was Birthright, part one and two. And she goes, okay. So the next day she comes home with two scripts, with Birthright, part one and part two scripts. Okay. And she says, I, two different you, scripts for the same show? You know, I mean the part one and the part two. Oh, okay. Those, uh, sure. Okay. The, the two script, the, the full script for the two parter. Got it. Basically, what had happened was everybody, she, her, her office had the mail slots for everybody. And at one point, this is, this is both about how Star Trek works and about how Hollywood works. And this is about if you want to get, how to get things done in the system. You can be a rebel. I could have, I or somebody later on could have stood up and screamed, screamed, screamed about this. But if you know how the system works, what Janet did was when not Ira, but when Ron came in to get his mail the next day, she said um, something basically is, Ron, I don't know if you know this, but they have Klingon hostages, captives uh, in Ira's script. And they don't say a word about, you know, what happened, why they're not... Um, why they didn't kill themselves. And, you know, his he wasn't working on that script, but she said he just kind of, his eyes got big, like, so, <laughs> so she kind of handed the issue off to him. And we're talking about like a tiny, in the big picture of things, right? Tiny little thing. Yeah. But in the big picture of things, he got it. So the next time they all had a, you know, a, a writer, whatever. So later that day, she, he had her pull a couple of those scripts. She brought it home to me and she goes, Ron wants you to like, you know, get the little tabs, like you, the clear tabs you can stick in tag pages, you know, like sign here kind of things. She goes, Ron wants you to take the script and tag every time someone says Klingons kill themselves rather than be taken hostage. Hmm. I went and I got what was going on. I went, OK, so, you know, but each script has especially part two, because it really is about that. But there's like, so you look at the side of the script and there's like 15 tags hanging out, <laughs> right? Where I go tagged it. So the way this happens was I did that. She slipped back in the vanilla envelope, puts it in Ron's slot. The next day he takes it up and he goes, you might want to, this is, you know, that was proof and visual proof. It wasn't about ego or politics or yeah, 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 or, you know, blah, 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 or I'm the Klingon guy. He basically said, Here's a here's all the times you know blah blah blah, and the bottom line to all this is as with most things in Star Trek, it takes one line or two lines. This this thing mm -hmm. about can versus the writing, the writers want the freedom to create. Most of the time, you throw one line in, you you can keep canon going, you can keep all yeah. the canon yeah. fans yeah. happy. So what happens? The episode airs. They don't have to. No plot. No nothing is uprooted. Nobody has to restructure five acts. All that happens is Worf and Garrick walk in there. They Here's the big reveal that it's Martok. And while you're having the intended shock of, oh, oh, my God, that means there's changelings back home. In the middle of all that, it's Garrick, not Worf. But Garrick is the outsider says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Klingons were supposed to kill themselves rather than be taken hostage. And then Worf and Martok together... They've just reunited, but they both say, uh, 
But no, not when there's any promise at all of fighting future battles. You know, not when you can still get up and fight. You know, not when there's still a chance that you can you can have a say. But i.e., when it's not hopeless. Like, yeah. don't give up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life. So yeah. a, um, all it took was like two lines of dialogue, and that was preserved. You didn't hurt the current story or make it redo, but you preserved yeah. gone before. So Larry. It's a that is a cut on A. This is how you work in a system to get good change done, right? You bridge it and do it. You don't stand up and scream. Sometimes you have to stand up and scream if you're an outsider, maybe. But when you're working on the inside, that's what you do. And B, that kind of thing can happen. And C, the things that drive people crazy later on could have been fixed with one line or a little massage. And yeah. one of my favorite, one of my Trekline Dr. Trek hashtags is texture, not trivia. When things, something, say like that hadn't happened. Well, somebody out in fandom would have retconned something like that. They would have said, yeah. they made a mistake. They didn't have, you know, Gal, Martok should have been dead. Why did he still alive? Yeah. And somebody afterward would have said, well, there was obviously some, something overruled him, you know, killing himself. And they came up with the proactive one that makes all the, it goes, flies right by. No one even stops to think about it, really. And yeah. it feels good because they've actually built on something in the past. So anyway, so that's my K three deep cut for today. This is uh, how to. I mean, that's that's a it's a pretty good one. Um, so I feel like I should thank you for <laughs> saving that that moment. And it, um, I'm now gonna um, refer back to your San Diego Comic Con panel about the um, three generations of generations. The three generations of scientific advisors to Star like it's Trek. A, it's tapestry. Oh, you know I'm a sucker for tapestry references, Larry. Uh, Even when they're totally created out of whole cloth. <laughs> oh man, that one, uh, that one. Now you're getting into uh, dad joke territory, which I also appreciate. Um, the your panel. One of my one of my big takeaways uh, from your panel was this idea of yes and like when you're working within the system of uh, a writer's room, it's it's not about just saying no your idea is stupid or this story is dumb because of this canonical reason or because of this scientific reason. It's about saying yes and. So yes, I think this is a great idea to have Worf and Martok as prisoners. And we need to speak to why they might be prisoners and they haven't taken their own lives. And it actually seems to add more texture, as you said, to the story. It extends upon that idea that totally makes sense in Klingon culture. Yeah, breaking out of this Jem'Hadar uh, Dominion concentration camp knowing the secrets that you now know about these changelings right. that are out there in the Alpha Quadrant, you better believe that that is going to bring honor to your house. You better believe that that is going to bring honor to the Empire. Um, not only is there a chance of escape, but it's, it seems incumbent on the Klingon warrior to, to br get revenge and rectify this, um, this very cowardly way of your empire being manipulated. Well, it makes total say, sense. In that case, if you've got a secret that's a life and death, not just life and death, but a victory snatching secret from the jaws of death, it would almost be cowardly to lean on the old 
cultural, traditional ritual and give up and kill yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah, because as I said, when there's a when there's still battles to be won and you're able to fight them, you know, when it's not hopeless. So yeah, yeah I, but that yeah, that's my yes. It's because that the the root of texture not trivia is an old acting trope that I go back to is you know mm. if you're in a comedy, find the moments of drama or writing too. If you're in a comedy, find the moments of drama. If you're in a drama, find the moments of comedy levity. Because yeah. that's the way real life is, and we're not just stereotypically pulling, you know, pouring things out of a mold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that there there are exceptions to every rule, and exceptions prove the rule. So yeah. when you a, a case like Worf and, and yeah. Maltok here illuminates the greater old you know ritual even more. So anyway, love it. There I love go. it. Um, as Karen's just said, for the Empire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so with that, let's get into our away mission. This is the part of the show where I give you a takeaway, something that you can do to apply the lessons that we're talking about as it relates to Star Trek and boldly going in your, in your own life to right now, the situation that you are in right now. Larry, I struggled with this one. I struggled with this one. How well, do we... <laughs> don't kill yourself. Is that what you're worried like, what do, I, what do I even talk about? Because we're, we're talking about a alien race that, spoilers, does not exist to our, to our knowledge. There is really no Kronos. for aspects of human <laughs> <laughs> So, like, where where do we even go um, for this? So, uh, here's here's where I came down on is there are so many aspects to being a Klingon. Um, you can be a warrior. You can you can bring honor to the to the Klingon Empire through um, fighting on the front lines with. Uh, against the Federation in the original series, against the Romulans later on, against the Dominion, against the Borg, right? You can bring honor that way. You can also bring honor through leadership. Um, we see that with Gowron and, and later Martok. You can bring dishonor that way as well. Um, being a Klingon is also about being, um, the, uh, being a family and being a mother, being a father, um, training the next generation um no pun intended um by um raising um children teaching them you can bring honor through really good klingon opera really good bloodwide really good gah right there's so many ways to be a klingon and when we see klingons we see the bat lefts and the battle and all of this but there's so much more to the culture right so that's my away mission for you. I want honor. I want. I can't wait for lower decks. <laughs> oh, I, I can't wait. I We're going to talk about lower decks in just a moment. We are. Here's my. Here's my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoilers. Um, here's my. Here's my away mission for you all. Is um, just like the Klingons. There's so much more to them. There's so many cultural pieces, and the same is true of you. So if you want to explore this, I want you to take you know, five, ten minutes out of your day, take a piece of paper. It's better with paper and a pen. You can do this on your computer if you want to, but I like to do this on paper because it just kind of slows down the processing. Write I am and finish that sentence about ten times. I am 
father. I am a Star Trek fan. I am a Trekkie. I am a Trekker. I am um, a Californian. I am um, a psychologist. Like I can, I can go on and on and on, and then finish that list ten times. Like what is coming up for you? What's high on that list? What's low on that list? What are the expectations of each of those identities? What is considered to be typical? What's considered to be atypical? How do you take care of yourselves in that identity? Um, if you take five, ten minutes and do this, you're going to get a much better understanding of all the cultural forces that are um, impacting your life right now. And I also think it can be helpful to understand that there's so much more to you than um, what you might have thought. There's so many different ways in which you express your identity. Like for Worf, he's a Klingon. He's a Starfleet officer. He's a dad. He's a warrior. But he's also an explorer at times. He's also a strategic officer. He's um, a husband. He's a friend. He's um, he he's a lover of Klingon opera and prune juice. There's a lot to his culture and his identities. And similarly, there's a lot more to yours as well. So that's one way. If you like to explore it, it's an easy way to do it. Thank you, And sir. with that, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Always my pleasure. With that, let's open up those hailing frequencies. We've wow. got... Um, a lot Between of comments. Being gone, yes. I want to jump back and say a shout out to my nephew, Stephen, who had a point way back here. We were talking about culture and language. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and maybe, and you know, stop me if I'm overlapping something you did, but this was after I came back, I think. Anyway, he said, as a linguist, learning other cultures is such a privilege to understand others. In Arabic, there was a phrase, ya aburni, so call it, uh, mm. but, which means you bury me. In other words, you mm. love someone so much that you hope they outlive you. But that was, you know, but anyway, he's talking about the importance of language wow. as a key wow. to culture. I mean, I think most cultures would agree to that, but they had a specific word yeah. for it. And I think Klingon, a, a Klingon cultural saying might be, like, if we if we take that to Klingons, they would say, you know, I, I hope you die a honorable death, which doesn't necessarily mean that, like, you die in battle. But you die at a time when you have brought honor to your family and to the Klingon Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great example of how, like, if a Klingon heard that expression, um, you bury me, that I, I hope you outlive me, they'd be like, why? No, not really. Like, I, I hope you die at a time when, when you have honor. Um, it's a great example of that connection between language and culture and beliefs and misunderstanding between different groups. I just had to look it up. It's like the Ferengis have 178 words for rain. Right, 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 right. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's cultural, uh, yes. I think, you know what, in, I think it's funny. I think uh, we were talking about some of the suicide rituals. Like, well, it, am I doing it for myself? Do I get a friend? Do I get a family member? Which suicide ritual is this? And they all have a different knife that all has its own name. So th- how Klingon is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a name on a knife for the suicide ritual you know here's 47 different ones we have to make sure and get the right knife for the right suicide uh yeah <clears throat> uh yeah. 
Scott's saying, um, I think I'd be a really terrible Klingon. Um, <laughs> and Dan is saying, I'd be an honorable Klingon musician. Um, who would you be? Who would you be, uh, Larry, if you were in the, if you were a Klingon? Um, gosh, the Klingons probably don't have therapists. I, so I, I, I don't know. You know who I would might be? They might, might... There might be one, and he's probably a really good one because he's not only. <laughs> The only one they have, but he survived somehow. So, or she. yeah, I think a Klingon therapist it would do a lot of hmm. You must challenge that Klingon to a duel. <laughs> um, I I think I would be a no, bat the, left. The Klingon, therapist, the Klingon therapist has a row of pain sticks in his cabinet that he refuses. <laughs> to use. <laughs> no, refuses to use them. Refuses. Please give me a pain stick for this. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> I think I would be like a batleth coach. Um, I would, if I can't be, if so if I can't be a therapist, I want to be basically like a sports psychologist. Someone who helps people r- with their performance in different tasks. And I think for a Klingon, the greatest performance is hand-to-hand combat. So I want to be like a batleth coach. That helps people to be in the zone with their bat lefts. That's what I would do. Okay. What about you, Larry? Uh, uh, well, I'm, oh gosh, I don't know. Um, you know, somebody, well, somebody would have to keep, if people enjoy singing songs of their exploits and keeping all that going, then somebody, there have to be some Klingon scribes. There have to be some Klingons. Yes. Keep, you know, you don't get ritual out of nothing. And the more that you've, the more that you pass on those crazy, you know, he took a lock of his hair and threw it in the Mount Christak and bang, the first battle. I mean, somebody had to keep all that going. So I don't know if I would be a... You would a totally be that person. Yeah. Musicals and history or whatever. I but feel... you know, I stopped me too. Another aspect. Klingon, we were talking about music. Klingons have um, theatrics. If yeah. you remember the Klingon pageant and the Klingon yes. festival at Wharf? And, yeah, it's and that's a colony. There are, yeah. They even have enough actors to have actors on colonies. Yes. So then you know that that's what's going on in the colony worlds. Then Kronos just have this wonderful thespian <laughs> tradition. Whatever. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, um, Only when they do the original Shakespeare in Klingonese, they're really yeah. It's like they go through <laughs> some, They're really beheading <laughs> and stabbing people. Yeah. I, um... I totally see you as a historian of the High Council. Um, I think that would be you would Pushy be job. you you would do so well. Um, Lady says I'd be a Klingon soprano opera uh, singer, and um, I love this. Tim says a Klingon lawyer. Today is a good day to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, Tim. Um, Heidi says, um, don't think a Klingon biologist would be appreciated in Klingon society. You never know. Um, you know, you sure needed one to fix the virus. Somewhat, yeah. Some Klingon biologists fixed the augment virus. And they're there. They do things. Like Klingon society really, in terms of their, um, their fleet and the officers that serve on that fleet, those are clearly mostly the warrior class. But they do have these other folks. Like, someone has to build these ships. Mm-hmm. Someone has to solve the augment virus. They're just not front and center in the Klingon society. Um, 
Yeah, it says as long as there's Klingon opera, I guess that would be the producer, director, actor, singer, or something. Um, Karen wants to be a Klingon ship officer on the bridge. Um, it's it can be dangerous to, to serve just, on that bridge. Yeah, can you just see the Klingon prop guy? I said I wanted to duck tog. Not a doctor. <laughs> not a. Yeah. And then there, then there's a duel. Um, well, yeah. Uh, uh, Tim says a Klingon cook today is a good day to bake. Tim, this could go on for a while. Uh, this could. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, tournament organizer today is a good day to buy. Uh, Sean says uh, a Klingon engineer or cloaking. So Larry, um, maybe you can answer this question for me. I was having a debate with my friends. How? Um, how did the Klingons acquire cloaking technology? Did they steal it from the Romulans? Did they trade with the Romulans, or did they invent it? There's that. Well, yeah. So we used to say for years and years and years, we always said, oh, the the whole excuse around using the Klingon ship model for the Romulan ships in mm-hmm. Enterprise Incident, when the whole thing was so new, people barely knew what they were looking at, was that there had been a Klingon... Wait, what's it? And then they put it in dialogue to explain it, which is funny because people... When you saw the original aired episodes, either you didn't, the first time you saw that ship was as a Romulan. Um, I'm trying to remember now what the deal was, but it was very hinky. It was also, it was almost like overkill. But yeah, they, they put, they tried to retcon some language and say why Klingon, why Romulan was using Klingon ships because they had an exchange treaty. And so for years we said, well, the Klingons, the cloaking that you see later, because that was an original series. But then you have Enterprise, where right? Where there's cloaking going on earlier. Yes. Now I'm see here. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, and a lot of people would thought, well, cloaking is not an honorable way to, you know, the whole Klingon honor thing. Well, cloaking yes. is sneaking around and you're not being out in front and your, your opponent isn't seeing you face to face. Yeah. But then there's another aspect to that. It's like, well, is that really, you know, is it, is, is, is honor about seeing your your opponent face to face, or is honor about uh, just being smart enough to have all the tools at your disposal? Right. And if that's one of them, then so be it. It's their fault. They're weak. You're you're doing them a favor by putting them out of commission if they're going to be so weak. They haven't right. invented a cloaking device yet. Right. I, you know. So. So how did they get cloaking technology? <laughs> I I'm you know I'm still. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I it's in memory alpha. Come on, what do you, <laughs> Larry? Last week you said if I have a Trek question, just text you. Um, and now you're punting it to memory alpha. Uh, maybe our comment section. I was might... already gone for 15 minutes. I'll find you an answer. And if there's not one, I'll invent one. I, <laughs> okay, I'll okay, I appreciate that. Plus, by I the time I that. get something in the chat, will pop up and go. Well, it was in, you know, it was in some episode of Discovery somewhere that we've I've only seen. Well, I mean, I mean, it kind of speaks to. Klingon engineers, like even if they acquired the technology um, through some type of means, um, they've had to maintain it. So, you know, there are there are these individuals. Zahir's got a great idea. Um, I want to be a Klingon, Klingon hollow programmer, take oral storytelling to a new level. You know 
the Klingons highly value storytelling. They love to uh, sing songs of the great triumph over the Tribbles. Um, you know, they, they love to, they highly value storytelling. It's a big part of their culture. It's a big part of their religious beliefs. And um, you you have to imagine that Klingons have created some amazing hollow stories. Um, I love that. I love that idea. Um, um, would a uh, Susan asked, would a Klingon journalist be be useful? That's my former profession. I can't imagine that my current job as a disability analyst would be good in Klingon society. <laughs> um, well, when I said scribe and a you know a scribe, that's what I mean. Yeah, somebody reporting the event. Now, yeah. whether it's true journalist or a propagandist you know or you know you you expand my glories on my house and if you want to talk about him then let put him on uh, get on his payroll (laughs) i think yeah i think it would be less less journalist and more storyteller song writer that kind of thing um but yeah absolutely i think and and here's the thing the whole you know there's so much klingon hypocrisy I don't, you know, but at some point, Klingons have to rely on the truth to be able to make battle decisions, right? So you get into right. things like the Klingon Civil War, the Dura right. Sisters, what's real, what's not, what are, what are act, active, what are, um, reliable battle reports? What are reliable scouting yeah. reports? Yeah. And and into, there is Klingon, there isn't a Klingon intelligence agency. So that whole thing about cloaking is not honorable. They, they, ha- there are Klingon spies. You know, yeah. Arn Darvin was a Klingon spy. I mean, yep. it's different times, different things, and other ones through the Dominion War too. But um, and Star Trek Discovery, we see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think we've opened Pandora's box a little bit with Tim, um, yeah. <laughs> Larry. Um, Tim says a Klingon pilot today is a good day to fly. <laughs> Ed, um, and then uh, a Klingon George Takei. Today is a good day to... Oh, my. <laughs> Tim, thank you for for the the love of, uh, of Klingons that you're bringing to the comments section here today. Um, uh, there's another comment, uh, Larry, that uh, someone said, if, uh, if Larry gave us a tour of the office, it might take a few hours. Um, you do have a lot of goodies back there that I hope one day we can get a complete tour of. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the psych show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs>